Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela and on today's program we'll be hearing from Mia Pepper from Nuclear Free WA speaking outside the Deep Yellow AGM in Perth on Friday 24th of November and Carmen, a member of Mbantua for Palestine who blockaded Pine Gap on Monday 27th of November in protest against the military facilities participation in the war on Palestine and other atrocities around the world. But first, it is with heavy hearts that we bring news of the passing of Arabana elder, Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, great First Nations warrior, peacemaker, educator, artist, firekeeper, protector of country and culture, friend and inspiration to so many, and a tireless campaigner and mischief maker in the struggle against colonization and the destruction of land by mining companies and other developments. Uncle Kevin travelled from his homelands, like Karitunda, Lake Eyre and the sacred mound springs, to the world, bringing the message of peace and healing and a vision of a safe and nuclear-free future for the young ones coming through. He made the world a better place for us to be in and always reminded us to remember the wisdom of the old people and work for the children of the future. And he made sure this serious work was fun and full of heart and optimism. He will be greatly missed and celebrated. The Radioactive Show and 3CR more broadly is grateful to have worked alongside Uncle Kevin and brought his voice and message to our listeners across many decades. And his family invites you to send love and support, stories and images through to them via the email memoriesforuncledadpop at outlook.com. And his family will be establishing a place to share the stories of his life. And we'll put all the details for this on our webpage, 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. We'll share some words from Uncle Kevin later in the show. But first up, let's go to a recording from the Nuclear Free WA group of Mia Pepper speaking outside Deep Yellow annual general meeting. Deep Yellow are the owners of Mulga Rock Uranium Project and this proposal would involve the clearing of almost 4,000 hectares of native vegetation that is home to many species including the endangered Sandhill Dunnar. It would see the establishment of four open pits that will be strip mined and backfilled and would have a usage of around 15 million litres of water a day. This would produce around 32,000 tonnes of radioactive waste that will need isolating from people and the environment for hundreds of thousands of years. Thanks everyone for coming. Um, acknowledge that we're on Wajak Noongar Wudja, that sovereignty was never ceded, and that Noongar elders have been such, a, such staunch supporters and allies of the nuclear free movement here and across WA thank them for that involvement um i guess maybe we'll just if anyone's got any questions specifically but i thought maybe we'll just give a bit of an update on mulga rock specifically because there's lots of nuclear stuff happening but mulga rock and uranium mining doesn't always get 
get um, a lot of coverage. There's been a big shift this year. So since the Fukushima disaster, the uranium price really tanked and has been at about $20 a pound for over a decade. And this year it's shot up. It's now over $70 a pound. That's a really, it's a really big change. And for a company like Deep Yellow, it's really significant because they've spent the last two years saying the incentive price to mine a new deposit is 70 US a pound. So we're now above that. Don't know if it's gonna stay, but the thing that will drive that and a big impact is the US and the UK making an announcement last week that they wanna triple nuclear by 2050. So, and that's the thing that always drives this industry. It's not sense, it's not common sense, it's not financial sense, it's government and, and you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not think about the links to nuclear weapons and their, and their ambition around why, why they're investing in something that's so uneconomic and so dangerous. Um, so I think that's really important just to think about what we're likely to see and just how risky this project is. This is the only project in WA that can advance. So in 2021, they had a deadline to have substantially commenced mining by December 2021. And against all advice, the, the WA government had agreed or found through the Department of Environment that they had met that threshold. And that threshold is so low and it's based on the status quo of mining in WA. And that if you even attempt to show that you've substantially commenced there is no definition of what substantial commencement is. There's no threshold. It's just basically if you put in a piece of paper to the department, they're going to say, sure, you've substantially commenced. And we've, we tested this through the Mogul Rock case and found that, that that's a really big gap in WA's policies. Because now, two years later, and we did satellite images this week to see what they had done since they got that. They have done almost nothing. So they got this substantial commencement tick off from the government, but they haven't done anything, which is good because we don't want them to, but, it's, but it highlights just how absurd the government decision was that this has substantially commenced. And what's really disappointing was that one of the areas that they cleared to get that substantial commencement tick off was prime habitat for the Sandhill Dunner, which is on the brink of extinction. And we said to them before it happened, in the year in the lead up, we said, what is your threshold for substantial commencement? Don't just let them do whatever because there's really important habitat here that they're gonna destroy to prove substantial commencement. And it's exactly what happened. And it's so disappointing, so frustrating. That's where we are now. Two years later, they haven't done anything, which is, is good, but frustrating, but they have the potential to do a lot more in the, in the short term. So they'll be releasing their final investment, I mean, their um, definitive feasibility study in the middle of next year. That's their third one, because the first one wasn't economic, the second one wasn't economic, so they're trying, they're having a third go, um, and they've released that in the middle of the year. Hopefully that will also be a no-go, and we should collectively, you know, Nuclear Free WA, this new organisation that we're all, you know, um, part of, we, I think, really need to find some funding to do some strong campaigning when that comes out about why this project shouldn't be allowed to proceed, but also to get some um, independent economic, economists 
to review it and, and point out just how weak it is and then we can do some work with investors because it's the only thing right now that will stop this is trying to stop the investment because the government has shown no appetite to do anything anti-industry and nothing to stall this project and they see it as a big risk they say because it's uranium we don't want to be seen to be making a political decision because then they'll sue us and there's a whole sovereign risk liability and we're not handing out money to uranium companies on the flip side we'll have you know there's a big risk that we'll have a uranium mine so that's kind of an update unless there's any questions the other news is that ukuli ukuli the first nations community that have a claim over this area are set to win their native title next week. So that's great. Um, so we're really pleased about that um, for them and what that means. Unfortunately, it won't because they've already got a mining lease. So because the native title came after the mining lease, the mining lease stands, they don't have a right to negotiate, but there are expectations on consultation. But again, a big gap in our laws in WA is that you can do social impact, you can know exactly how bad your project is going to impact the community, but there's there's no regulator, there's no condition setting about how you how you manage your social impact. So there's, there's really not a lot of options for the community um, unless we make a lot of noise and highlight the weakness in the laws the weakness in this company and the governance and how they engage with First Nations communities and just ruin their social licence, which they already don't have. Um, so there's, there's still lots we can do. It's not a mine yet. They don't have the funding to do it and we can definitely make an impact there and we absolutely should. Um, but we do need support through Nuclear Free WA so that we have the capacity to work on this because at the moment we're really running on the smell of an oily rag with no paid staff and just volunteering so the more anyone can help um, the more we can fundraise to try and get a paid campaigner something that we need to do. You're tuned to the Radioactive show produced in the studios of 3CR on unceded Kulin land in Fitzroy, Victoria and shared across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. We just heard from Mia Pepper speaking at a protest at the Deep Yellow AGM in Perth on Friday 24th of November and thanks to K.A. Garlic for sharing these recordings. Some good news is that the Upali Upali Nurcha native title claim was successful on 30th of November and they're now formally recognised as having rights and interests over the area. As we heard from Mia, it's a vital time to act and strengthen opposition to the Mulga Rock proposed uranium mine and support the Upali Upali who want to protect their land and a paid campaigner makes a huge difference at this time so if you can donate or want to find out more go to nuclearfreewa.org.au On Monday the 27th of November, a group of Indigenous and non-Indigenous activists, Mbantwa for Palestine, blockaded the road to the Pine Gap military facility around 20 kilometres out from 
Mbantwa, Alice Springs. Group member Carmen, one of the activists who participated in the blockade, joined Priya on the Thursday Breakfast Show and we'll bring you that interview now. Earlier this week, a group of Indigenous and non-Indigenous activists set up their second blockade in a month across the single access road to Pine Gap Military Facility, which is situated on Arndaland outside of Mbantwa, Alice Springs. And today we're going to be joined by Carmen, one of the activists who participated in the blockade and a member of Mbantwa for Palestine, to discuss the relationship between Pine Gap and the ongoing genocide of Palestinians, as well as the importance of direct action in solidarity with Palestinians struggling for liberation. So I thought maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about the history of the Pine Gap base and about its relationships to colonization on both Arndalands and in Palestine. So why is it such an important target for disruption? So Pine Gap was built in the 60s, and it's always been a controversial thing. There was a lot of um, opposition by Arunda traditional owners at the time. There always has been. And they run very secretive operations out of there that serve the US military primarily. Um, And they do also collect information for ASIO. But since its inception, they've been um, involved in genocide and, and the brutality of war, which has never been supported by local traditional owners here or the broader community. At the moment, one of their focuses is on Gaza and is on assisting Israel in the Zionist occupation over there. And um, what they do is they, they collect data from satellites which primarily focus over that Swana region, the Southwest Asia and Northern um, African region. And they're, they're also, they have the like, capacity to surveil people and collect intelligence and communications between people. They also can coordinate missile targets and things like that and, and intercept you know, like if if, uh, if Lebanon was um, sending missiles over, they could intercept it from Pine Gap, like they can give information mm. to Israel to intercept it from Pine Gap. So they're a highly sophisticated information and surveillance a military base here in the, in the middle of the desert here, Alice Springs. So there's been a lot of opposition over the years. There was a peace camp set up in the 70s that was run by local Arunda women and they made a call out to women um, across the country and they were, you know, they, they held that blockade for quite a long time. It's a very famous blockade. So they've been, you know, the community doesn't want them here um, and it has been in opposition since its inception mm. um, against the, the sort of brutality that that um, that comes out of that place. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, what you've, you've talked about um, also touches on the fact that this is not... This is not some abstract or tangential relationship. Um, it is directly implicated. Uh, Pine Gap is directly implicated in what is happening um, to Palestinians now, to the genocide that's being perpetrated there through the use of tracking and, and surveillance technologies that are operated out of Pine Gap. So you were involved yeah. in the direct action shutting down the main access road to Pine Gap this past Monday, and I understand that this is the second blockade action Mbantua for Palestine have undertaken since the beginning of Israel's escalation of genocidal violence in Gaza. Um, so can you tell us a bit about how Monday went down? What were you hoping to achieve and what happened? So on Monday morning at about 4.30, it was about 30 people that went down. We set up really quickly, very organised protests. So there was two people, myself included, that locked onto a concrete barrel. And then behind us was set up a roadblock and everybody was in hive-ease. And it was sort of this idea of, um, as a community, we're making a community safety intervention. So it was all about like um, shutting down these criminal operations that are happening at this particular work site. So it looked very much as people were approaching, it would have looked like 
look like a normal roadblock, like hard hats, high vis, all that sort of stuff. And then as people got closer, they would have seen that we were locked onto the barrel and we were wearing press vests to honour the press in the Palestinian um, journalists who are, you know, coming under, like, brutal siege themselves. Their families are being killed just for trying to get the word out, the truth out. Um, and so as people were approaching, they would have seen, you know, banners saying free Palestine and stop the genocide and that we're shutting down this particular facility because of war crimes. Um, and then throughout the day, we were reading, you know, um, the names of the Palestinian martyrs. And we never got past people that were under the age of one, you know, in all mm. in that all day of reading that out. And we, we listed war crimes, um, you know, the, the displacement, the the broad-scale Holocaust massacres, the, the targeting of children. We, we were listing all of the sort of um, war crimes that have been happening, not just in the recent escalation of seven weeks, but of, you know, the last 75 years. And so mm. there was also vigil elements there. We were, we were holding vigil. Um, we were burning frankincense and we were burning candles. And um, it was about seven hours that we held the road there and we stopped about 100 or so workers from being able to attend work that day. Um, but it was very peaceful. It was very... There was no sort of... Um, neither from the police or from us, there was no sort of aggression. Um, it was just, I think, once they arrived, saw that, saw that we were locked on, knew that it was the second time mm. that we'd done it and that they were in for, you know, a number of hours to try to get us off. I think it was quite a um, de-escalating sort of way to do it because they could see, okay, we're here for hours, we're not going to do argy-bargy and start pushing people off the road. They just sort of, you know, got to the task of trying to get the fireys in to get us off. So we realised it's actually quite a good strategy to to have something really solid on the road like that. Um, in this place anyway, it could be different in other, in other cities. I know the police behave differently um, yeah. in different contexts. But, yeah, it was quite, it was a very peaceful sort of, um, very peaceful um, action. Yeah, I mean, and it's it, it's it's amazing what you guys achieved in terms of you know blocking off that road for for seven hours and, um, you know, just just by um, having a clear and coordinated plan and understanding that that holding that space and um, you know preventing people from going to work at the facility for that time was seven hours um, where hopefully uh, there were you know the. the the surveillance apparatus was undermined for for that time. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the uh, you know the importance of direct action in general um, and about holding space for honouring the lives of Palestinians. As we know, there was no there was no ceasefire or humanitarian pause, and it's a global movement. We can't afford to become complacent. We're in an upward rising wave that's gathering momentum at the moment and we have to um, push harder and harder at the moment because we, we sort of need each other. Like there was actually another action in Melbourne at the time supporting what we were doing. Mm. Um, a bunch of people blockaded um, an office and we need to keep Palestinian sovereignty at the centre of everything that we're doing. You know, um, people are being dehumanised in the press, on the ground, you know, and, and we need to hold the press accountable and we need people to find the sort of courage that Palestinians are teaching us at the moment um, to stand up and keep speaking the truth, you know. Um, there's a war machine um, that we're trying to fight, 
here. So I, I think if people can find support amongst their own communities and build networks and try and find um, sustainable ways to keep, you know, pushing up against this genocide, we can find strength in each other's movements. You know, I see stuff that's happening around the country every single day and we're all drawing strength from that. So even just like reposting stuff on Instagram, you know, just keeping keeping the word out, keeping mm. the conversation going, we're all in this together. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, obviously like centering Palestinian sovereignty and dignity and human rights and, you know, strong messages of, you know, it's not just ceasefire, it's end the apartheid land back. Yeah. Sovereign and lands back to sovereign Palestinian people and justice for war crimes. Absolutely. It's about it's about liberation, not uh not a return to apartheid status quo. So Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carmen, for joining us. Thanks for talking to me, Priya. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was Carmen, who was one of the activists uh, who participated in the blockade of on the access road to Pine Gap on Arnda country outside of Mbantwa Alice Springs and a member of Mbantwa for Palestine. And we just spoke about the relationship between Pine Gap and the ongoing genocide of Palestinians. Thanks so much to Priya Kunjan and Thursday Breakfast for sharing this interview. You can find the group on Instagram, Mbantwa, that's M-P-A-R-N-T-W-E underscore for underscore Palestine. On December 1, each year, the West Papuans raise the Morning Star flag in their ongoing struggle against colonisation and the genocide of their people. The West Papuans called for independence from Dutch occupation on the 1st of December 1961. But rather than giving them their freedom from colonial rule, the Dutch handed West Papua to Indonesia and for the last 60 years West Papuans have been subject to Indonesian state violence supported by foreign states and weapons corporations. One of the corporations that is profiting from both the genocide in Palestine and West Papua is Thales and in Australia they make the Bushmaster tanks that kill West Papuans. Wage Peace are inviting all people uh, to join them in a blockade of the Thales factory in Bendigo and you can bring a picnic to Finn Street North Bendigo at 11am on Tuesday 5th of December. We're going to hear some words of Uncle Kevin Bazakot speaking at a free West Papua event some years ago and talking of the shared struggle. It's Uncle Kevin Bazakot. Please make him welcome. Yeah, I'm Kevin Bazicott from Darabana uh, uh, Lake here. And uh, coming to events like this uh, makes me happy. We're doing something about our life. I'm also one of the members, lifetime members, of the black real government of this country. And uh, these lying foreign government that invaded us and took over our lands, and as the brother was saying about the waters and everything, and uh, nothing has changed over 250 years. And I'm telling you now that we are 
the real landlords of, of this country. We've been so for 40,000, plus 40,000, other than 100,000. And uh, there's changes are coming. This government has no jurisdiction, no authority to run this country. We've run this country for 40, all that years. And uh, we didn't do the way they're doing, with guns, murdering, killing, digging up our sacred country. They're still doing it today. Uh, we're uh, talking about the landlord business. Those people haven't paid us any rent. They stole everything. And they're still doing the same thing. But uh, very soon we'll be collecting the rent off them. I'm only talking about the good, uh, I'm not talking about the good people, the good white people. I'm talking about the bad government people and the bad mining people, the army and the cops and all that. They're the bad people. We've written the black line in the sand. And uh, from now on, if these mob, we give them a chance to come over and make peace with us, or they can take off from where they come from. But the good ones can stay. The same with the West Papuans. This government have no authority to do what they're doing with West Papuan. So their day is coming, they're gonna be caught out. And Indonesia, West Papua belongs to West Papua. And Indonesia and Australian government and other government who supports bad people, they need to get out of West Papua. Sooner the better. Uh, West Papua, like all of us, deserve the right to life. And uh, same with us, same with everybody in the world. It's time to make peace now, not to go on killing and destroying each other. So people here, stay tuned to West Papua and our emails. Uh, people want to stay in this country, all the refugees and everybody else. We're the government. Come and see us. We'll give you a passport and okay to stay here with us. Yeah. Yes. The bad guys need to go. Exactly right. And Australian government, all the way back to England, the Queen, they need to pay rent. For all the money and all the minerals and also we're going to hit them with the compensation of the damages that they done to us and our ancestors. That, that, and we're still here. The biggest mistake they ever did was they didn't kill us all. So stay tuned and uh, have a good day. Spread the word out there to all good people. Come along and also, as soon as we can organise it, we want a big freedom flotilla to West Papua and to our brothers and sisters all across the islands, Brother Malak, uh, Malak all islands. And we'll make the world and make Australia great again. 
And that's what we're going to do. We'll make Australia black again. Put the responsibility back where it belongs. Thank you very much. Medeka! 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 You're tuned to the Radioactive Show. We just heard there some words from the late Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, who worked in solidarity with the Free West Papua Movement. And the Freedom Flotilla that he spoke of there was one of those incredible campaigns and epic adventures that was a hallmark of his life. And you can learn more about that campaign at freedomflotillawestpapua.org. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we'll share all the links in our podcast notes, which can be found on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, email us at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced at 3CR in Fitzroy, Melbourne on unceded Kulin land and is broadcast across the continent thanks to the great work of the Community Radio Network. Thanks to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, melbournefoe.org.au forward slash nuclear for their ongoing support for the show. We hope to see you at the Latin American, Australian and Asia Pacific Solidarity Gathering Multinationals Out Conference that runs from 8th till 10th of December, organized by the Latin American Solidarity Network. And there's in-person sessions at Catalyst on Sydney Road in Brunswick. So come along if you can, but there's also online options. So you can join from anywhere in the world. To look at the program and register, go to latinamericansolidaritynetwork.org. There will be a session on Saturday morning where we will be discussing the Olympic Dam uranium mine in South Australia. And Donna Abdullah, who was a guest on the Radioactive show a few weeks back, will be speaking. So that will be a great one to get along to. The music used on today's show was Biak. Mioskaru by the Black Sisters. Stay tuned for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.